Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and Carney is just spilling dry beans out of his body today. That must mean that the first messages we're going to read are in response to our two-parter on the humble bean. All right, what do we have first, Joe? Let's see. Uh, the first note is uh, we received a very brief communique from the food historian Ken Albala, the author of the book Beans, A History, which we talked about a lot in those two episodes on beans. Uh, Ken contacted us to say very nice episodes. That's it. It seems Ken is into the whole brevity thing. But uh, thanks so much for the kind words. And, and uh, your book was a big help. Awesome. All right, this next one comes to us from Hannah. Hannah writes, Hi, Robert and Joe. I loved your Reconsider the Bean episodes this week. As a longtime vegetarian, I am something of a bean stan. Uh, it's like a fan, right? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it means like a, a, a fan. I think a stan is not just a fan as in somebody who likes it, but a fan who like puts effort into their appreciation mm. of something. Gotcha. All right. And one of my favorite things of Stuff to Blow Your Mind episodes are deep dives into seemingly mundane things. To answer the question of favorite beans, I must admit that my heart lies with the humble black bean. That bean has range. I wanted to write in to mention an interesting fictional treatment of beans relating to the Jack and the Beanstalk fairy tale in Stephen Sondheim's musical Into the Woods. I know there was a movie version that came out a few years ago, but I personally have not seen it and have little interest in doing so, as it is, from what I've heard, a sanded-down, pretty mediocre adaptation. I'm perfectly satisfied with the PBS filmed-on-stage version. I think most people familiar with it are so because it's a popular choice for high schools and local regional theaters to put on. Anyway, the story in a, uh, is a bunch of fairy tales, including Jack and the Beanstalk, interweaving until eventually the story spins out of control. The score reflects this, creating a complex web of musical motifs and ideas that not only helps the audience orient themselves among the many characters, but also helps create a through line to make all of these different storylines form a cohesive piece of theater. This is something that Sondheim is very good at, taking little phrases and musical ideas and shifting them around, inverting them, combining them, etc., so that the narrative and thematic concepts are also baked into the score. Oh, much like baked beans. Ah, they continue. One character that gets its own musical motif is the magic beans themselves. And this bean theme, or bean <laughs> motif, as it is usually called, is all over the musical. In this version of the story, the beans were originally stolen by the baker's father from the witch's garden, tying into the witchy associations from English folklore, and as they change various hands, bring, if not outright bad luck and curses, sort of monkey's paw-esque quote-unquote good luck that eventually causes a lot of chaos and destruction. And related to the association of beans with genitals discussed in these episodes, the witch reveals to the baker that she cursed his whole family to be infertile as retribution for his father's bean theft. The baker is later the one to trade the beans to Jack for his cow in a quest to reverse the curse. In this way, the beans themselves come to represent the central conflict of the show, which ends up being all of the characters' unwillingness to change and take responsibility for their own actions. I'm not sure if this is necessarily explicitly intended, but the hearty and long-lasted dried beans seems like a good symbol for being static and stubborn and for bad luck you can't get rid of. 
Huh. I, I've seen Into the Woods. I, I did not uh, think to make any of these connections. The beans always seemed incidental to me, but I, I see everything you're saying, Hannah. Yeah, these, these beans go deep. Yeah. Hannah continues. The second to last song of the show is largely about how complex and difficult morality really is, and how even though there is no one there to guide the remaining characters, perhaps they will be able to figure it out together. This is just before the story resolves, and in this song, the bean motif is inverted. When this is applied to melodies, this means that if you were to picture the phrase written on sheet music, you would then flip it upside down so the direction of the intervals between notes is reversed. For example, instead of the interval between the first two notes going down a perfect fifth, it now goes up a perfect fifth. Crucially, the inversion happens on the lyric, People Make Mistakes, where these characters are finally admitting their own fault, something that just two scenes earlier they were frantically thrusting onto one another. They are finally ready to admit when they are wrong to grow and learn. They have canceled out the beans. (laughs) Sorry that this got so long and that I felt compelled to do music theory at you. Here is a link of Sonheim himself talking about this motif so that you can hear what it sounds like, and they include a link. And then in this video, at about the three-minute mark at uh, to 445, talking about resolution inversion of this theme. Endless thanks for this awesome show. It always gives me something new and interesting to think about. Hannah. Uh, and here are the clips Hannah was talking about. And also, I'd like to point out that uh, when you're singing the release of the second part, when they're all singing together, people make mistakes. It's going like this. And that, of course, is the inversion of the bean thing. It's the upside-down version of So that everything finally comes together in, in one song. Well, thanks, Hannah. Interesting stuff. Yeah, this connects to a bunch of things we talked about. The, yeah, the, the cursed beans from English folklore, the beans in reproduction. Uh, I, I did not see any of this coming, so, so thank you very much. Anyway, uh, this next message comes from Greg. Greg says, I enjoyed listening to your two-part episode on beans. Fascinating stuff. My favorite bean encounter was at a dinner with a friend of mine from Mexico. I'm on a restricted diet that does not allow chocolate, but he served what appeared to be a chocolate cake for dessert. When I saw it, I reminded him that I couldn't eat chocolate, and he told me there wasn't any in the cake. He asked me to guess what the cake was made from. I had no idea. He revealed it was black beans. No chocolate whatsoever. I was blown away. The cake was great. It really fooled the mind into thinking it was chocolate. I'll have to get that recipe and make it again. Keep up the great work. Always entertaining and fascinating podcasts, including the Weird House Cinema ones. Still trying to find frogs from 1972. Greg. Oh, I've never heard of this. Or, Rob, have you had a, a black bean cake? Uh, you know, it sounds vaguely familiar. I feel like I've had, mm. I may have had some sort of a baked good that was ultimately made from beans and had kind of a chocolatey consistency to it. But, um, but, but I don't have a specific memory of it, no. This is funny. I forgot to bring this up in the other episode, but I've been cooking with uh, something that's often called black beans. It's not the same as the black bean you would usually have in like uh, the like the version of faziolus that uh, uh, that is called black beans. Uh, they're the fermented black beans that are often used in uh, uh, some regional dishes of Chinese cooking. And uh, I got a pack of those that I ordered off the the internet. They're actually soybeans, and they're really good. Oh, nice. Uh, as for frogs and where you can find a copy of it, um, I said just keep looking. Look, 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 look around online because I, I think you'll at least find some uh, scenes from it that have been uploaded. <laughs> 
All right. Here's another bit of listener mail. This comes to us from Peggy. Peggy writes in and says, Hi, Rob and Joe. Enjoyed your discussions on beans this week, especially part two, where you talked about particular traditions and beliefs about beans. My love of a good bean dish, refried black beans, please, has unfortunately been ruined by my body's decision not to digest them properly, causing more than a few uh, guttural hauntings. Maybe Pythagoras had IBS? I lived in Japan for a year, 15 years ago, and participated in Setsuban festivities that February. There could be uh, different traditions in other regions of Japan, but in uh, Kansai, uh, Osaka, Kyoto region, you're supposed to clean your house and yell, Onisato, demons out, while emptying the dirt outside. It's also traditional to eat temaki, an uncut sushi roll, while sitting in a certain direction, though I can't remember which direction. I went to a ceremony at a local temple where a uh, couple of demons were banished with the help of the crowd. We all threw soybeans at them, yelling onisato, until they were defeated. I have a feeling this ties back to the old Lunar New Year with the idea of starting out with a clean, demon-free house. And yes, I believe that is the case as well, based on some material I was looking at. But they continue. You were trying to remember when you talked about driving evil spirits out of the house. I think it was in your episode from early last year about animate objects in Chinese and Japanese culture. In Japan, New Year is celebrated January 1st. But I remember it's also traditional to clean the house beforehand and get some new clothes starting the year off fresh. I hadn't heard of throwing used objects out of the house, as you mentioned in the episode. But maybe that's an older tradition. I did get a kick out of the story about a religious scroll trying to convert a bunch of discarded objects objects uh, to Shingon Buddhism. I'm biased, but the scroll was right. It is the best school to convert to. <laughs> Apologies for sounding like that religious scroll, but you might find uh, Shingon interesting from a historic and cultural perspective. It comes from the same roots as Tibetan Buddhism, incorporates a lot of Shinto beliefs, and is colorful and complex compared to the simplicity of Zen. Its founder, known as Kobo Daishi, lived during the Heian period of the 10th century and developed the uh, uh, hiragana and uh, katakana writing system still used today. There are all kinds of legends about his life and is believed to have preserved his own body after death might be of interest to look up into his life and impact on Japanese culture. You know, I think um, back when Christian was on the show, I think uh, I think we uh, I discussed this with him at one point when we were doing a series on various mummification rituals. Yeah, self-mummification. Mm-hmm. Uh, they continue. This also calls back to your episode a while ago on Sacred Mountains, asking about personal or lesser-known spots. Mine is uh, Mount Koya or Koyasan in Japan. When I first read about it, it sounded like some spiritual pure land, but no, it's about an hour east of Osaka. It's not very high or notable, but in the center of Shingon Buddhism, home to dozens of temples, some originally built over a thousand years ago. It also has Japan's largest cemetery, a beautiful area full of huge cedar trees and countless monuments uh, from uh, tiny moss-covered stupas to giant memorials, including Kobodashi's tomb. I visited twice, and it's one of the most significant places in my early introduction to meditation and Buddhism. It's an amazing place to visit regardless, and I hope to go back one day. All that said... I've been listening to Stuff to Blow Your Mind for a few years now and love the strange and unexpected corners of science and culture you look into. And Weird House Cinema is fantastic. I could listen to you guys talk about movies all day. My suggestion, Hobo with a Shotgun. Maybe it's too tongue-in-cheek, 
to be true Weird House, but it's got Rudger Hauer, was inspired by one of those Tarantino Grindhouse trailers, and has some cameos only a Canadian would appreciate. Thank you both for your continued work to inform and inspire. It's been especially appreciated through a year of working from home. Hope you and your families continue to stay healthy. Eat your beans. Cheers, Peggy. Oh, thanks, Peggy. Well, you know, I would not have expected a single email to be as as tightly focused about Shingon Buddhism and Hobo with Shotgun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really appreciate the uh, the thoughts on, uh, on on Japanese culture there. But also, Hobo with a Shotgun uh, was a lot of fun when I watched it years back. Uh, I remember it ultimately went places that were weirder than than anticipated. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know for sure that it would be something we would cover on Weird House, but I would say that it, it's at least a possibility given on on how weird that film ultimately is like it it takes a its initial you know grindhousey concept and then goes in some unexpected directions all right this next message comes from travis travis says dear robert and joe Hello, I've listened to your podcast in the past, probably since 2016, but recently got earbuds to wear during work. I pretty much get six hours a day of you two or Chuck and Josh on some occasions. I have consumed much of your content in a very short period of time. I'm running low on episodes. Wow. (laughs) Travis goes on. Anyway, I've been meaning to write in for a while, uh, but have been occupied with school. I just graduated with my bachelor's. During school, I worked stocking produce and continue to while I do the deadly job hunt. Since listening to your tomato episode, I have so much useful knowledge for uh, work and home. I now almost subconsciously stock the tomatoes with the stem facing down to seal in moisture. I've been questioned by coworkers and had a logical explanation. Thanks. Well, Travis, I, I know that grind. I, I have worked in a grocery store as well. That I, I didn't do tr- produce. I, I worked in uh, dry grocery and stocking stocking dairy. But yeah, I, I know that world. Uh, and I, I don't think I ever got to listen to podcasts while I was doing it. So, uh, so, so I hope that makes it more fun. Um, but uh, anyway, back to the message. Travis says, about your Leshy episode, I love mythology, and the Leshy is my new favorite creature after you two introduced it to me. There's a Cartoon Network miniseries I love called Over the Garden Wall. If you're not familiar, I highly recommend it. I watch it every October, so I won't spoil too much. There's a creature in the episode named The Beast. Once I heard your Leshy podcast, it made me think of him. He's a forest creature who tricks and lures people who wander into the woods. He keeps himself hidden. You never see him until the last episode when you get a very brief shot. I will attach an image. It's not really a spoiler to see him. Maybe he's based on the Leshy. And Rob, I attached uh, the image that Travis attached, so you can have a look here. Oh, yes. Very, very frightful. I actually watched, I think, the first episode of this and remembered... Remember thinking it was pretty cool at the time, but um, yeah, it looks like I'll have to go back and explore it for real. Uh, Travis attached a link to a, a, a video that's like a song from the show. It's a song about being a highwayman who does crimes or something. It, it, it seemed fun. Uh, but anyway, Travis says, uh, just a couple of fun tidbits for you. Seriously, Over the Garden Wall is great with an amazing soundtrack. Thanks for taking the time to read. I love your podcast and how much I learn. You guys are the reason I got so into mythology and folktales, and I love Weird House Cinema. I'm a film buff, so thank you so much. Uh, Stay chatty and keep reading. All the best, Travis. (laughs) 
All right. Here's another bit of listener mail. This one actually comes to us off of the Stuff to Blow Your Mind discussion module, which is, uh, of course, over there on the the old Book of Faces. <laughs> and this comes to us from Cliff. Cliff writes in and says, I noticed on the Weird House Cinema today, and this is referring to the episode we did on uh, the humanoid. Yeah. Um, uh, the fellows mentioned Moonraker and the girl that smiles at Jaws uh, that had braces on. Well, she did until September 2008. That's when the uh, the Hadron Collider was fully functional and it shifted us into this reality. And then there's a uh, like a, a winking emoji mm-hmm. that's included. And um, Cliff includes this um, this little uh, screenshot uh, uh, from a, a website of some sort uh, that has a picture of Jaws in the movie uh, with the character Dolly. And the text uh, reads, in the case of Dolly in Moonraker, it is perhaps the way the sequence is edited that after Jaws smiles and exposes his me- metal teeth, Dolly then smiles in the next shot as the music hits its crescendo. The actress who played Dolly, Blanche uh, Ravalek, did not wear braces in the film. Whoa. Well, that's on me. I'm the one who said that. So I, th- this is one of those things. This is, uh, this is cited as one of the many examples of the so-called Mandela effect, the effect where uh, huge numbers of people apparently all misremember events in the same way. And it very often happens with scenes in movies, lines in movies. For example, like everybody thinking that the movie – the Empire Strikes Back has the line, Luke, I am your father, though Darth Vader never says that. Uh, he says, he says, no, I am your father. And despite, the, you know, there are millions and millions of people mm-hmm. who remember it the wrong way. So apparently I'm not the only one who remembered Dolly in this movie as, uh, you know, the, the girl that Jaws falls in love with as having braces. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure quite what it is that created that misimpression. I mean, I didn't specifically remember it, but mm-hmm. when you you described it as such, mm-hmm. I, I instantly saw it in my own head. Like I, yeah. I then it like altered my memory of it, which is kind of faint because I haven't seen Moonraker in a very long time. But it you your misremembering of it like changed my memory of it. So uh-huh. perhaps that's uh, you know that we can sort of think about that as like a way that that these sort of um, things end up spreading from person to person. I've got no excuse. I watch Moonraker once a week. <laughs> no, I mean I don't, but I I have I've seen it way too many times to have that excuse. Well, it also just it sounds correct. It sounds like exactly yeah. the kind of visual uh joke that this film would perpetrate. Right. It has a it has a pigeon doing a double take, so you'd think it also it would have Dolly with braces. That would make yeah. sense, you know. Of course, that that's what they've got in common. They both have metal in their mouths. But in fact, what they have in common is, I don't know, they're both just awkward and don't say much. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Cliff, thanks for bringing that to our attention. Um, uh, It's interesting how uh, how our memories of of movies particularly um, alter like this. Okay, we've got another message about Weird House Cinema. This one comes from Ian. Ian says, Hi all, thoroughly enjoying the new directions you're taking the podcast in, and I have a viewing suggestion. Frogs are just meh, too cold. What you really need is something with a little more warm blood. Have you ever come across 1972's Night of the Lepus? Also Mm. released as Rabbits. I haven't seen it for 20 years, but I still bear the mental scars. The poor acting, although we do get DeForest Kelly, 
people in furry suits, padding with stock footage, dubious miniature sets, crawling with petting zoo extras, stomping on cardboard. This film has it all, along with the failure to realize that rabbits just don't work as monsters, with the possible exception of Frank, maybe if it had just been James Duvall in the rabbit costumes. I'm not sure who the James Duvall there is referring to. Is that a, is that an actor who was in Donnie Darko? I think that's the the creepy Frank that's being referred to here. Uh, is it? I don't remember specifically okay. on that front. Unless this is supposed to refer to Robert Duvall. I don't know. Mm. Uh, well, I'll check on that later. Anyway, Ian goes on. It truly is worth a watch as a shining example of how not to make a horror film. Keep the wonderful episodes coming. Your regular companions in my dark underground laboratory. Ian. <laughs> well, you know, 1972. So the, that movie's right in there. Uh, same year as Frogs. So. Yeah, I wonder if the the uh, rabbits are created by pollution or by animal experimentation gone wrong. Yeah, I've never seen it in its entirety, but this is one I remember, I think, catching part of on TBS or TNT, like mm-hmm. in the, the lazy middle of a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and just seeing the, the, uh, the rabbits uh, stampede across the miniature city. If I am not mistaken, I believe it was featured on TNT's recurring segment, Monster Vision. Do you remember oh. this thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, with Joe Bob Riggs, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I remember this being basically frogs, but with rabbits instead of all the amphibians and reptiles. All right, here's another one. This one comes to us from Riley with the uh, the subject heading Shockwaves, 1977. Great job, guys. Loved this movie since seeing it as a kid. Great to revisit. I've always felt like this movie inspired one of the... Uh of Lord Humongous's uh, Dogs of War from The Road Warrior in 1981. Watch the boomerang scene. You will know of whom I write. Keep up the great work, Riley. Well, I did not, I was not able to go back and rewatch this, but what I'm guessing Riley's saying is that there's a character in The Road Warrior who is wearing goggles like the goggles the Nazis, the Nazi zombies are wearing in Shockwaves. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen The Road Warrior as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe I need to give it a, re- a revisit. Maybe it's just too, too, too much time has passed. I don't know. All right. This next message comes from Chris. The subject line is waxy looking old movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris says there's a setting on HD TVs that causes this and it can be reversed. It's generally called motion smoothing only beneficial really in sports you can go to your settings and turn it off you could do a story on it too even casablanca looked like crap uh i know what chris is talking about here i think i was actually talking about something different i believe i was uh i I believe what i was witnessing on like a, a dvd of predator that looked really bad was not due to the setting on tvs but chris is absolutely correct that a lot of times if you get a new tv everything on it will look terrible until you figure out how to turn off this setting that is turned on by default i have no idea why uh, i think it's for sports i think it, yeah. that's where it becomes most important yeah i guess so i mean so but i i never watch sports and it makes movies and tv shows look not not just bad but like like hilarious it makes it makes everything look like a bad sort of daytime tv production it somehow mm-hmm. manages to make everything look cheap uh it 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 totally ruins the immersion of all fictional film 
media. It just makes everything look fake and like a set to people wearing goofy costumes. I'm yep. not sure exactly why, but that that's the effect that it has. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, sometimes it's called motion smoothing. I think on my TV, it was called judder reduction or something like that. You, whatever it is, if you get a new TV and everything looks terrible, you got to find the setting and turn it off. I watched the entirety of Black Panther on uh, <laughs> television like this. <laughs> we were staying at a relative's house and uh-huh. I didn't want to mess with their TV settings. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, we'll just stick with it. And, you know, on one level it was bad because it made a you know the the last kind of movie you want to see reduced is is going to be a big budget uh, summer right. blockbuster like that yeah. uh, but on the other hand it it kind of made the whole movie into um like a classic Doctor Who episode. Yeah, okay. And, and it kind of forced me to focus on the performances a little bit more. So I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. We we actually have watched a number of movies like this. Like sometimes we've actually sometimes turned it on just for laughs. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of James Bond, we watched part of a James Bond movie one time with this on. And it's really funny because it makes even big budget movies look like a community theater production. <laughs> yeah, it does. All right, here's another one. Boy, uh, Carney's just frothing with schlock today. Yeah. Uh, this one comes to us from Raj. Dear Stuff to Blow Your Mind, I know I am tardy to the party, but thank you for reading my listener mail about Weird House Cinema, the episode on Battle for Indoor. I was not expecting that, so it was a pleasant surprise. I also have some uh, more feedback on yet another episode of Weird House Cinema. In one of the recent-ish episodes, you discussed a film with a character named uh, Thorkel, or Thorkel. I think that was the thing. We couldn't remember how to say it. Dr. Thorkel. Oh, no, this was uh, um, the one about the giant. Um, oh. Uh, Dr. Cyclops. Cyclops. Yeah, yes. Dr. Cyclops. Um, anyway, uh, Raj continues. Sorry, can't remember the name. Gunhead, perhaps? But no, no, no. It was, no. We, Thorkel, Dr. Cyclops, yeah. yeah. You were discussing how to pronounce that name. From my understanding, based on the British History podcast, uh, there were several historical Scandinavian figures um, from the 11th century that were named Thorkel, including Thorkel the Tall. It's pronounced Thor, as in the Norse god, Kel. <laughs> okay. I thought I'd share in case you were curious to know. Keep up the great work. Raj, P.S. It's exciting to see episode topics that here that relate to topics covered in the British History Podcast, including The Horned Helm, Ragnar, Lodbrok, etc. Oh, thanks, Raj. I, I don't know this other podcast. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. When, when did we talk about Ragnar, Lodbrok? What's that from? Ah, well, uh, I just had to look it up to confirm, but that was from the Pit of Serpents episode. I think there is a, there was a story about uh, Ragnar... Having to like, he got sent to into a pit of snakes for some reason, or yes, maybe got yes. executed in a pit of snakes. I think, or did was that the one where the snake like crawled inside him and ate his heart? Or uh, I'm oh, not quite sure. Uh, it was it was about like being bit in the in the liver or, uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, the, yes. Now, it's now it's fuzzy I now. Yeah. yeah, it's fuzzy now, but it it was it was good stuff. Well, anyway, if you're curious, go back to the pit of serpents episodes. That'll clear you up. All right. Well, that's the end of our mailbag for today. It was a good one. Yeah. Beans, uh, weird movies, uh, lots of good stuff. So, hey, if you would like to write in as well, uh, send in your listener mail. Send them in. Let's talk. Let's chat. You have a... Uh, uh, ping res- us, so they say. Yes. At us. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, don't... I mean, I guess. There's an at in the email address. 
because the email that's the main way to get in touch with us. We're not really on the the, the social uh, accounts. Really, well, I think that we much. are. We we still have a Twitter account. I th- I don't know if anybody's messaging us. Mm, I don't know, but we there's yeah the, the the account still exists. I think we're locked out of the Instagram one because somebody else was doing it for us, and then it was deemed suspicious, and so now we just have no <laughs> access to it. Very um, cool. So it's just sitting there, uh, and I, nobody knows how to access it. So it's sitting there looking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you, but the email address is as of this recording still good. So you know, write in, let us know, respond to episodes we've recorded of any of the shows that are popping up in our feed, uh, ideas for future episodes, responses to stuff you heard in this listener mail episode. It's all fair game. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows